Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's Word and truth. A man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's David Fiorazzo. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our subject today, Creation versus evolution. And uh, let's get right into it after we pray. Father, thank you for another chance to talk about issues that you have in your word for us to read and study and understand. And we pray that you'd allow us to help strengthen our foundation of faith today in your existence and that you created the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And help us, Lord, understand also how to respond to people in our culture, in our society, sometimes even in our own families that either don't believe in you, Lord, or don't believe you created us. So, Father, help us to clarify some points, help us to bring up the obstacles, and and, and please encourage our listeners today as we go through your word and talk about things that matter in terms of eternity and uh, just sharing the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We praise you, Father, for giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, Our faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Genesis 2, verse 4 states, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. That's what the Bible teaches. The universe reveals a complexity, design, and magnificence that staggers the imagination, and logic shows us that life could probably not have just appeared by some random, spontaneous process. Evidence seems to point to a master plan and an intelligent being or a designer. Such intricate, organized design must have come from a creator. The theory of evolution, however, has been generally accepted by the scientific community and academia, and it's taught as fact in most public schools across America today. And people often find themselves in a conversation regarding creation or evolution, and it quickly loses focus and heads off in all sorts of directions. And today we're going to talk about some things to consider when conversing with skeptics to maximize the effectiveness of your conversations. We welcome back to the show Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project. Good morning, Jay. Hey, good morning, David. How are you? I'm doing very well, brother. How have you been? I've been doing extremely well, maybe too good. Okay, well, I want to hear about that. We haven't, uh, it seems like I haven't talked to you in a couple months. Um, so for our newer listeners, and we've got a lot of new listeners here on Stand Up For The Truth, we would love for you to just give a little bit of your background and uh, you know what you've been doing recently and how you changed in your ministry from engineer to uh, apologist and your starting point project. Sure, I'll give you the the brief version you know, basically grew up in a Christian home, believing everything about the Bible cover to cover, went to public schools through high school, went to a Christian college to get a degree in engineering, and then went to a state university to get a degree in physics. And it was at the state university where all my professors were challenging me about all my beliefs. And I was not able to defend my beliefs. I knew what I believed, but I didn't know why. So started mm -hmm. doing a lot of research and have been uh, researching and lecturing on topics of creation and evolution, science in the Bible, the authority of God's word, uh, inspiration of scripture uh, for the past 33 years. Uh, felt called into full-time ministry about you know, 12 to 13 years ago and uh, founded the Starting Point Project, which talks about our starting point, which is God's word. We use that uh, as a source of authority in everything that we believe. But obviously a lot of people say, well, you, you can't go to the Bible if it has to do with science or things like that. And so 
we get a lot of confrontations regarding you know, the origin of life, the origin of the universe, thinking, well, the scientists have to tell us the truth in those areas because the Bible is just an outdated religious book and you can't really take it that seriously. So, um, but God has just opened the doors for spreading um, this information uh, all over, basically doing two things, strengthening uh, the faith of existing Christians to help them be more confident when they're out there, hopefully graciously sharing the gospel message, and then secondarily offering a very gracious uh, challenge to the sincere skeptic who probably is battling with a lot of great questions. And so that's uh, the two primary focuses of the ministry. And this year has just been kind of crazy traveling all over the place, mostly in the U.S., but been out of the country three times this year, went to Fiji twice to speak in public school systems, which was phenomenal. Just lots of stories there. Fiji uh, was in yeah rough life. That's uh, east of east of uh, Australia, way out <laughs> in the ocean. And then uh, was in Russia, training some pastors and talking to some, uh, other people there, doing apologetics conference, and then just all over the country. Gave about seventy, uh, well, actually a total of about one hundred fifty talks this year uh, in about. I don't know, maybe 14 states or so. So it's been been busy, but I'm just extremely thankful that God has given me just the ability to be involved in something that he wants to do. He doesn't need me, but he's letting me go along for the ride. Well, praise God. It sounds like you've uh, done quite a bit in the time that you've been in this ministry, and you've created the Starting Point Project, including uh, Grand Canyon trips. Uh, you've got any upcoming events in the new year? We do. Uh, May 28th through the 31st is our next scheduled Grand Canyon tour. And in a nutshell, we spend one day walking along the rim, looking one mile down to the Colorado River. The next day, we're on the river looking up. All along the way, we give a little mini lectures, scientific evidence for the authority of God's word and for the reality of the Genesis flood. It's an easy trip. You're walking on a flat paved path along the rim, and then we take a bus through a two-mile tunnel to get down to the river so you're not repelling and rock climbing. And the um, the rafting tour is also just smooth sailing. It's not whitewater rafting where you're getting soaked and falling out of the raft. It's a very family-friendly trip. We've had kids go that were five or six years old. We've had a, a couple that was 80 years old go, and I think last summer we even had a guy who was 85 uh, so it's a great trip if anyone's interested. We still have some seats left for the, the May trip of 2020. Uh, they want to get a hold of us at thestartingpointproject.com to get more information. All right. And if you have a question for Jay, by the way, during this program, you can text the word speak up to 90100. And you can email us anytime, uh, 24 hours a day. We won't respond right away, but you can email us comments at standupforthetruth.com. Jay, before we dive into some creation versus evolution talking points to help our listeners, um, there's a sad reality in our culture, in our country, in the world, when it comes to the scientific community, when it comes to people that seem to do the research and have the headlines of all the major you know, news outlets, when they seem to believe, first off, they start their I guess their, their philosophy comes before actually their science, and they believe that there, is, the, there either is no God or there is no creator, and that everything had to start materially, materially. In other words, there was no spiritual being. There wasn't no, a, a, any God or intelligent designer. Can you speak to that? And that's a challenge we've got to overcome, and that's a reality before we dive in here. Sure, that's huge. Um, everyone starts somewhere with their belief system. Again, that's kind of why we're the starting point project. Everyone starts somewhere with their beliefs. It's impossible not to. Um, And what happened basically over time was science was, first of all, birthed out of the Christian community. Most major areas of science we have today were founded by Bible-believing Christians. And their point was, as their starting point, They believed that God existed and he created everything primarily because that's what the Bible says. And it seemed obvious when you look at the world around you, how in the world could it just be an accident? So it was intuitive to them that those things were true. Mm. And they they concluded that if there really is a God and he created things, um, God is a God of order. The Bible certainly says that. So if he's a God of order and he created all this, they expected to find 
order in his um, creation. So they started studying you know, astronomy and biology and geology, and they started finding this order and these regularities, and they formulated different laws to represent those regularities that they were finding. So that's how science got started. But then along the way, it got hijacked. And they basically, instead of looking at the natural world around us and try and come up, up with explanations as to how it works, assuming that, yes, it was created. We're just trying to figure out how does it operate through different natural causes that God initiated and established. It's been hijacked, and now they're just searching for natural explanations for the origin and operation of the universe, assuming that either there is no God, or even if there is somehow a God, he was kind of uninvolved mm -hmm. um, in creation itself. And so it was a philosophical decision to do that. And so uh, I think it's Dr. Scott Todd from Kansas State University said, even if all the data appoint to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is excluded from science because it's not natural. So he's admitting, even if all the evidence points to an intelligent designer, we're going to throw that out because, well, that's not a natural explanation, and that's all we're looking for. <laughs> so obviously, the secular scientists are never going to find evidence for God or creation, because if it does seem to lean that way, they're going to say, well, that's not scientific evidence then. And then that, that happened in history, too, with not only creation, but the flood. Uh, two guys came along, James Hutton and Charles Lyell, prior to Darwin, and they said, you know what, when we look at the world around us, we can only refer to natural processes to explain everything we're seeing, primarily geology. So the Grand Canyon and Mount Everest and all those things, just slow natural processes that we observe today. Well, that would certainly take a long time to form all those things through slow natural processes. That was a philosophical decision they made. Mm -hmm. And then all of geology started to change. There wasn't a catastrophic flood anymore that the Bible talked about. It's just natural processes over these newly discovered millions and millions of years. Darwin jumped on that and said, well, if they could explain physical things like, you know, the earth through these newly found millions of years, maybe he himself, Darwin, could explain the variety of life through natural processes over millions of years, apart from God being the creator. Wow. It's so sad, though, that some of the most intelligent people on the face of the earth have their minds made up before they truly research and look at the evidence and do the testing and before we get to the talking points on how to, to interact with skeptics, Jay, there's an interesting stat for the average person, the average American. There's studies that have come out, and one of them within the last couple of years says that a surprising number of Americans do believe in a creator. Now, even, even non-religious people, let's emphasize now, this is not saying that they believe the Bible is true, it means a, approximately 70%, maybe you have a more accurate number, Jay, from recent studies, but about 70% think there's a creator, and that's not saying they believe in the Bible. What are your thoughts on that compared to the majority of the scientific community? Sure, it's, it's interesting. The majority of human beings on the planet just seem to instinctively, intuitively conclude okay, there's got to be some kind of creator. Mm -hmm. They're not quite sure who or what it is, who or what it was, but this stuff just can't be an accident. Whether they know anything about science or not, it seems obvious. Within the scientific community, there's pressure to just find natural explanations because everyone knows in the scientific community that we're finding answers to all these things, the origin of the universe and the origin of life. We may not have all the answers yet, they think, but we're... We're, we're finding them and we're going to find them. That's what science is all about. So if you are a scientist and want any credibility within the scientific and academic community, you better toe the line and say, well, yeah, of course I know that the Big Bang's a fact and evolution's a fact. We're just trying to refine our models and figure out some of the details. So there's pressure within that community. And, and when someone does come out and say, you know what, I used to be an atheist and I'm just, it doesn't cut it. I just don't think it's possible. There's got to be a God um, there's a lot of examples for Frederick Hoyle. He was one of the world's leading astronomers and mathematicians. Uh, he was an atheist for most of his life, but he came to the conclusion there must be a God just by studying math mm -hmm. and science. He's the one who gave us the term the Big Bang, but he was being sarcastic when he gave that term, this new idea of the origin of the universe. <laughs> um, but 
when they do that, all of a sudden they lose credibility. They were a credible scientist uh, prior to that, but all of a sudden when they they buck the system, while you know, then they're they're ostracized and say, well, they're not a real scientist because if they were, they would agree with the the majority here, which. Science doesn't work by consensus. It has to have evidence, but uh, within the scientific community, there certainly seems to be this where we're going to believe in evolution by consensus, even though we may not have the evidence. There are exceptions, and I want to mention one and quote this man that lived in the 1800s who believed the Bible to be literal throughout his life. He tested the Bible against the scientific methods uh, that were common at the time, uh, never finding a contradiction. He was uh, taking this order of study. The Bible and that foundation of God as creator, and then he worked outward from there. Regarding creation, this is what this, we know him as, as a scientist, This is, but he was a theologian too. We just don't understand that part of his life. He said, God is one and the same God always and everywhere. He endures always and is present everywhere, and by existing always and everywhere, he constitutes duration and space. Tis inconceivable that inanimate brute matter should, without the mediation of something else which is not material, operate upon and affect other matter without mutual contact. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent being. Who said that? Sir Isaac Newton. I'm sure you know a little bit about his background, Jay. He wrote a lot about uh, prophecy, Daniel, Revelation. He studied the Bible and wrote more about the Bible than he did about science. But he was a believer in an intelligent designer. I don't remember him being looked down upon. Do you? No, he's considered by most to be the greatest scientist who ever lived. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing man. And as you said, he wrote more about the Bible than he did about science. But, you know, we don't teach that in the school systems no. because we want people to think that if you're a scientist, you don't really think too highly of the Bible or anything religious, which is, is interesting. Again, intuitively, we can tell that things must be creative. And one other example, um, um, Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. He was arguably the world's leading theoretical physicist. He passed away last year. Brilliant, brilliant scientist. Um, he had to explain the origin of the universe, but he was an atheist. And so he had to refer to just natural explanations. And I won't go into the details right now, but he talked about how the law of gravity allows the universe to create itself while wait a minute, where'd the law of gravity come from? If there's no universe or anything, why is this law of gravity just kind of hanging around in case something happens in the future? <laughs> and the law of gravity is not a thing. It's not a physical thing that can do anything. It's just a description of actually how the universe operates, but you can't have a description of how the universe operates unless you have a universe to describe. And if you do have one to describe, you're not creating it from nothing. So that's one example of a very, very brilliant scientist coming up with something that doesn't sound logical at all because of his starting point, his philosophical decision to rule God out. One other quick example, uh, Dr. Francis Crick, he was the co-discoverer of the DNA molecule, another brilliant, brilliant scientist, also an atheist. Uh, when he first was looking at DNA, he decided that while it evolved, you know, because there is no God and evolution's a fact, but the more he looked at it, the more he could see the intricate design, which I'm sure bothered him. So he actually ended up coming to the conclusion it must have been designed. There's no way it could have evolved here by accident on this planet. But because of his atheism, instead of saying, okay, I guess there is a God, and maybe I'll check out this Bible stuff a little bit more, he didn't want to. And so he decided... If there's evidence of design, but I don't want there to be a God, I'm going to say it was aliens somewhere else in the universe, intelligent aliens created life in seed form, you know, somewhere else in the universe, maybe four billion years ago, put it on spaceships, sent it to our planet, dropped it off here, and it grew from there. So hmm. he did believe in intelligent Jeez. design, oh my but he was more comfortable saying it was aliens out there, even though there's no evidence for alien life out there. So again, just this is what happens when you you have a certain starting point and you're going to stick to it no matter what. And we will get into some of those skeptics and what they say, what they believe. And uh, we'll talk about defining terms, which is very important. 
Also, I want you to explain uh, how uh, you're talking about a machine gun and, and an elephant all in the same information here. Jay, you're going to unpack all that when we come back with Jay Siegert on Stand Up For The Truth. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, back to David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project, how to talk with skeptics about creation versus evolution. Jay, let's get right into defining terms and beliefs. Sure. This is an important point. Again, these are things that you want to keep in mind, and they don't just work for creation and evolution, but pretty much any you know serious discussion you'd have with someone, they're, they're good things, and they all have to do with controlling the conversation and I don't mean that in a negative way people can be controlling in a negative way but this is a control in a very appropriate way that's very should be helpful to both sides because things can just get out of hand before you know it you're just like all over the board you, you don't know where it's headed you lost your initial point and you often you feel like I'm quote losing the argument here just because of it's being so scattered so one of the things that you want to do is define whatever is being discussed, define the beliefs of the person you're talking to. And this is before you even get into trying to share any evidence you have, because too many Christians or people in general are really quick to just start throwing out facts when they've totally skipped. Where is the other person coming from? What are they actually claiming? Do I properly understand what they actually believe? So first off, you know, again, we're talking about creation evolution today. So for this topic, if someone says, well, you know, evolution's a fact, I would first want to know from them, what do you mean by evolution? Because the word evolution is used in so many different ways. We'll talk about the evolution of the telephone, how it's changed over the years. And yeah, it's <laughs> changed quite a bit, but that's certainly very different, a very different concept from what they're teaching in school regarding evolution. So mm -hmm. when, when someone says, well, evolution's a fact and that's their, their starting point, their stance, ask them, what do you mean by evolution? Because sometimes they'll say, well, you know, we, we see change all the time, so evolution's a fact. At that point, evolution is, is, in their mind, is just change. So if you're coming along and saying, I don't believe in evolution, you're telling them, I don't believe in change. Well, we see change all the time, all around us. We even see you know, different species of animals, occasionally a new species. And so, well, that's change. Isn't that evolution? So you want them to define what they mean. And if they're really honest and accurate about it, they would say something like, well, they believe that there was a big bang that, you know, came out of nowhere for no particular reason. Uh, there was a big bang, created the universe, our planet formed, and then chemicals got together to form a living cell, and then that living cell copied itself and eventually turned and evolved into every other form of life on this planet. That's that's what they teach in the school systems and in the state universities, and that's probably what the person has in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but then they also think in their mind, anytime you see change at all, that's proof of the story of a Big Bang and, and biological evolution, which it's really not. But So you want them to define what they mean by evolution and you may even ask them you know why is it that you happen to believe that this is a, fa a fact and mm -hmm. we'll we'll get to some of that too uh, a little bit later but that would be under the category of having them define their terms okay what is this that you write about the machine gun effect and you say it's it's used very often sure it's something that's used often probably if i guessed probably most often subconsciously uh, the person you're talking to isn't thinking I'm going to use the machine gun effect on this person. It's just something that happens. Sometimes it's very intentional in a debate, but what I mean is that the other person brings up so many points like a machine gun. <laughs> They're just firing all over the place and it's making your head spin because uh, where do you start? They've just brought up like 15 things and you probably have limited time. Maybe you're in a grocery store, maybe you're in a library, maybe you're at work or wherever. And you always have somewhat limited time, even if you get together to have a discussion, you may only have a you know, couple hours. And so what happens is they bring up so many issues. There's no way you can address all of those and a lot of those probably even in their mind aren't really that big of a deal. So even if you did spend a lot of time on one of them, they'd say, well, that doesn't really matter because what about this? <laughs> they'd bring something else up. And then when the whole thing's over, 
they can look at you and say, you know what, you didn't even address this or that or that. I brought all this. You didn't even say anything. So, so the machine gun effect, you want to kind of be watching for it. And if they start going off in all different directions and bringing so many things up, you want to kind of rein them in and say, hold on a second. Yeah. We, we've got limited time. This is, an, this is an important topic. So can you bring up right now maybe like the three most important points that you want to discuss? We'll see if we can get anywhere with those. If we can, then maybe later or some other time we could tackle some of the other ones that you're bringing up. But there's no way either of us could do justice to this. It would be kind of a waste of time for both of us. So get them to narrow it down. And you also want the things are the most important. Otherwise, again, they'll say, well, that didn't even matter because what about this? And they'll bring something else up. So that's what the machine gun effect is. Am I um, accurate in saying that some people don't, think they're debating, but they're using that as a tactic, having another um, point ready to go and not listening to the response of the person. They're just rattling out what, what their talking points are. Oh, yeah. It happens all the time. And the important point with that is it's not just skeptics. And Christians can do the same thing. When I was younger in my uh, apologetics research and, and being out there talking with people, I'm sure I did this, too. I would learn all these facts and I couldn't wait to, to kind of spew them on someone, not in a mean way. I was never unkind or rude, but I just had all this information in my head and I just wanted to get it all out right away and, you know, make them ad address these things. And along the way, I was not very good at listening to what they were actually saying, getting them to define their beliefs, finding out more about them. How did you come to that conclusion to better understand where they're coming from? Not just so that I'm in a better position to argue with them, but I get to know them as a person. I care about who they are and maybe I'll better understand what, yeah, it makes sense. Given the background you just told me, it makes sense that you would believe that. So you want to do this out of a caring nature rather than just like, I'm here to tell you why you're wrong because I know all this stuff. So the machine gun effect happens very often, but it's not just from skeptics. Let's consider what, uh, this sounds kind of provocative, but elephant hurling. That sounds kind of dangerous. Yeah, it can be. It's another one of those things that happens that we're not familiar with the term so much, and you're not even so much aware that it's happening. But once you understand what this is, you can get better at looking for it in a conversation. And what this means is instead of the other person giving you very specific details, backing up their claims, they make these large, semi-intimidating statements that are very generic. We call it just like throwing elephants out there like if they say evolution's a fact, absolute fact, and you ask them, okay, well, how do you know evolution's a fact? Well, all the scientists believe it. It's backed up by evidence from every area of science. You know, nobody doubts it. Those are very large, generic statements that have no specificity to them, and they're not very helpful, and they're not really true. All scientists believe it. Well, that's not true. You could ask them, how do you know all scientists believe it? Again, that's a very bold statement. Mm -hmm. And then they might say, well, all, all the real scientists believe it. So they're kind of admitting, okay, maybe not all scientists, but all the real scientists believe it. <laughs> that's a kind of an odd statement. I would ask them, uh, how do you determine a, who's a real scientist? Well, anyone who believes in evolution, they're a real scientist. Now you got circular reasoning going on in there. So, you know, it's backed up by evidence from every area of science. Okay, can you give me some examples? Well, there's tons of them. There's just so much. Okay, then it should be pretty easy to give me an One. example or two. Well, yeah. Well, there are whole books written on it. Go to, go to the library, get a book. At that point, I would say, okay, so what you're telling me is you believe that evolution is a fact because you believe that there's a lot of evidence and you believe that the evidence is in these books. You yourself are not familiar with the evidences, but you trust that it's out there somewhere. So you can tell me you have faith that evolution is true, but you can't tell me that it's a fact, which is fine, but I just want you to better understand that in our discussion. Yeah, it takes a lot more faith, in my opinion, uh, to believe that there is no God and there is no creator and everything just happened, however, by accident, random chance. Um, what about, we don't always have the answers, especially when it comes to something like this, creation versus evolution. Jay, what do we do in those cases? 
Sure, that's that's going to happen almost every time, especially like <laughs> you mentioned in something that's a little more technical like creation versus evolution. A lot of Christians don't necessarily want to really get into the discussion because they're afraid the other person might know a little bit more about science or maybe the Christian themselves is not a science person whatsoever. They don't understand it. They're not really interested in it. So why would you want to get into a discussion where you think you're just going to be pummeled and they're going to ask you questions that you don't know? So my advice is, first of all, don't feel bad about not having all the answers. Now, if you don't have any answers, that should be a red flag to you saying, I got some homework to do here that I have no answers because most likely the vast majority of questions I ask, if not all of them, are going to be good questions that should have good responses. And too often the skeptics are used to running into Christian and they throw out their typical questions. And the Christians either have no answers or silly answers. And the skeptic is justified in thinking that they are correct. And the Christians just kind of out there because they just blindly believe in this religious document that's been changed so many times and filled with errors and contradictions. And so we should have some answers, but my advice is if a skeptic skeptic asks you a question and you know in your heart you honestly do not have an answer to that, don't do what I did many, many, many years ago and just start talking and making stuff up. And when I say making stuff up, I was never lying about anything, but I would just start talking because it was awkward (laughs) to have silence on my end. Halfway into my conversation, I am thinking to myself, what in the world am I talking about? I don't know the answer. Why didn't I just tell them I didn't know? While you're talking, you're thinking this. I am. I'm thinking, what are you, what am I talking about? I don't know. Why didn't I just tell them? Well, it was pride. My pride didn't want to admit I didn't know. So um, my recommendation for myself or anyone else, if a skeptic asks you a question and you know you basically don't have an answer, I would first and foremost tell them, you know what, I don't know the answer to that question, but that's actually a really good question. Now here is you want to do, we're doing some probing here. Mm-hmm. Ask the skeptic, is that question you just asked me, is that one of the top questions that you have? Is it one of the biggest reasons that you believe in evolution or reject creation, reject the Bible, reject God, reject Christianity, whatever. Is this one of the top reasons? If they say no, say, okay, can we table that one for now? And you share with me what the biggest reasons are. Because otherwise, again, you come back with an answer later. They're going to say, well, that one didn't even matter. So if they say, no, it's not, then say, okay, can we stick to the most important ones? If they say, well, actually, yeah, it's one of the top reasons why I don't believe the Bible. And say, okay, if I can come back with an answer and I want to go research because that is a good question and I should know, I should have an answer to that one. If I come back to you with a, a reasonable response to that, would you be willing to hear more about the Bible and about Jesus and about creation? If they say no, then they're telling you they're not really open to truth. They're not looking for the truth. If they say yes, you got your homework cut out for you and you need to go find an answer. So be comfortable with not having answers right away. Don't feel you need to start arguing. Admit that you don't know, Mm -hmm. but then find out if it's one that you really need to research for them or not. Thank you, Jay. Um, Now, you could be talking to an atheist. You could be talking to someone who is um, maybe open to hearing the truth or maybe open to the facts, which is rare. That means... Um, they are not dealing with pride like many of us are when we get in these conversations and we want to be right. Or you could be talking with a Christian who's not convinced in the truth of the inerrancy of Scripture and the biblical uh, creation account. So let's, let's start with when you're interacting with a skeptic. Jay, where do we start? Sure. Well, obviously, all the things we mentioned um, prior to this have those, and it takes time to practice those things and, and have more of a natural response. But Um, What I would do with the skeptic is I would, again, control the conversation in a proper way, meaning stick to the big picture, stay out of the weeds, do not get caught up in some really highly technical, detailed thing about bacteria becoming resistant to antibiotics or just whatever it might be that you might you might not have any knowledge of and how can you respond because you don't really even understand exactly what they're saying stick to the big picture and by the big picture it would be you know asking the skeptic these questions 
hopefully and preferably prior to you even talking about specifically what you believe and any evidences for it, you're trying to find out what it is that they believe and why. And that's what you're doing with these questions. You haven't even started to defend your views. You first have to know where they're coming from or how can you properly have a discussion if you don't know really what it is that someone believes. So one of the first questions I would ask the skeptic, and let's just for now talk about someone who's an, an atheist or an agnostic where God is just not part of the equation. Okay. I would say, okay, if there really is no God, where did everything come from? All the stuff in the universe, which is matter and energy. And for an atheist, they think that that's all that exists. Everything is matter and energy. There's no spirit or soul or anything like that. So I'd say, okay, if there is no God, can you help me un better understand how did stuff get here to begin with? Um, assuming that it at some point came into existence, which secular scientists agree, our universe did have a beginning. It came into existence. It has not always been here. And that primarily has to do with the second law of thermodynamics that everything runs down over time. If our universe was eternally old, it would have run out of gas a long time ago. So they do believe our universe had a beginning. It came into existence. So I'd ask them, and now this is where you got to make sure they don't do elephant hurling. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's a big bang. It's a fact. All scientists believe it. It's proven by evidence from astronomy and you know, on and on. Specifically, it came into existence they ultimately have to say from nothing. They can't say it well came from a fluctuation in the quantum vacuum. I'd say, wait a minute, what was fluctuating? Where did this quantum vacuum come from? How did that get here? You push them hard enough and they will admit at some point everything came into existence from nothing. You want them to be specific. How does that work? How does nothing create anything? Because nothing is nothing. You can't do anything or think about anything or... So get them to be specific, say as much as they can about it. And if you do it properly, they will come to a point where they realize, okay, that's what they believe, but there's really no evidence from science that you can get something from nothing. Mm -hmm. How about the law of physics? You mentioned there's other laws that they generally accept, but where do these laws come from, like physics, for example? Yeah, the laws of physics, the laws of science in general, you know, what are they? They are not physical things that you weigh, paint, and bend. <laughs> They're abstract, abstract uh, concepts that kind of describe the world that we're living in. So where do these laws come from and, and what came first, matter and energy or the laws that guide them? If, if matter and energy just came out of nowhere for no reason and it's sitting around thinking, man, we'd love to do something, but there's no one to tell us what we can and can't do. Or if it was just the laws of science came into existence out of nowhere and they're like man we got all these great ideas but there's nothing to work with you'd have to have matter and energy and the laws that guide it coming into existence at the same time for no reason that is not a scientific concept it makes sense in the christian worldview that god is the one who called all this into being he formulated these laws that so now when we look at the universe when we see stars burning out when we see water freeze in our freezers um that's not a miracle god doesn't come into my freezer and make the water into a solid it's following laws that he established so most of the operation of the universe today is through these laws that he created its origin was miraculous and we don't say that because oh we can't understand the complexity it's so complex oh there must be a god so it's just the god of the gaps it's our our um lack of understanding so we just throw god at it no we say it's god because god has innately put the knowledge of his existence inside of us and he's given us his word and he told us a fair amount of details of what he did so we're not just willy-nilly saying well there must be a god because i can't explain things we're saying there must be a god because i know that in my heart because he supernaturally placed the knowledge of his existence inside of me and he's given me his word and there's so much evidence that the bible is the inspired word of god so he's told me a lot of uh, details about creation. So that's my starting point, and I use that to then try to understand the world around me. All right, we have a lot more to get to with Jay Siegert, our guest today on Stand Up For The Truth. When we come back, we'll see if a skeptic can explain the transition from cells copying themselves to having a male and a female. Next. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. 
Now, back to David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Jay Siegert of The Starting Point Project. We're talking about how to answer skeptics when it comes to creation versus evolution. Some talking points to consider. The next question might be, how did chemicals combine to become a living cell capable of reproducing itself? Sure. We'll, we'll be relatively brief. We could go for hours and hours and hours in each of these points. <laughs> so I'm going to be overly brief. Yes. This is one of the biggest challenges that secular scientists have. How did life get started? Because you can take a cell today that's living, take all the pieces apart. We know all the constituent parts, put them back together and it's not living anymore. They've been doing experiments for years since the 50s and they cannot, the more they experiment, the more they realize this just isn't going to happen. The, the numbers are astronomical. One probability said the chances that life could have formed by itself on its own is one chance in a one followed by 40,000 zeros. So probability just screams that this isn't going to happen and they've seen nothing in the laboratory that could explain how dead chemicals could all of a sudden become alive and, and be able to copy themselves. All right. And now the one we mentioned right before we took a break, uh, how does, does a skeptic answer the question explaining the transition from cells copying themselves to then having a male and a female? Yeah, this is where you'll hear crickets chirping. Um, there's, there's almost nothing in the literature out there that explains how it happened. They will talk about the advantages of, of going to a male and female system. But if you think about a, a cell in the nucleus, you've got DNA and it just copies itself. Now you have another cell. It's just like the first cell because it copied that information that was in the DNA. Now there's two cells. And that just keeps going on and on in evolutionary history. At some point, you had to have a pink and a blue where each one of these cells now only somehow has just half of the required DNA to reproduce. And these two, the pink and blue, have to be in the same area, have to get together and have to be able to transport their halves and put them together just right to then have offspring. It is an unbelievably complex process. You cannot slowly transition through that by evolution, one piece, one step at a time. It's got to happen fully functional 100% the very first time or you're dead in the water you can't have it so they've got no answer whatsoever as to how that transition occurred because it would have to take so much time is this one of the reasons that they believe in billions of years or millions of years that, that it took and the creation and all that that's one of the reasons but it actually becomes a problem for them because you can't adding time to this isn't going to help <laughs> these things have to function the first time mm. if it doesn't happen the first time you've got nothing to build on because those two cells are dead they're gone they're not going to contribute anything to the future of evolution they're they're done it's a dead end so you can't slowly say well i've got part of the things that are necessary i'm just going to keep building on this no if you don't have all of it to reproduce male and female you're done uh, Jay, next, one of the big trials of the century was the O.J. Simpson trial, and they used DNA evidence, I believe, in that. I'm, I'm not sure if it was used much before that, but that was in the 90s. Uh, before that, where, where did we get DNA, how, and how is information created? Well, that's uh, the whole thing, and the short story there is, you know, they discovered, they theorized that the information is in the cell, and they discovered... Uh, the structure of the DNA, what it actually looked like. And then since then, the 50s, they've been studying it more and more and realizing how it works. It's like a ladder all twisted up, the rungs on the ladder, what we call nucleotides. That's where the information is. That's where all the information is, in a sense, letters are coded on those rungs and the order of the rungs gives you the information. Hmm. So we see information in every living thing. Wow. Every living thing has DNA. There's tons and tons and tons of tons of information on our DNA. So the question is, okay, we, we see it out there. How did it get created? Is there anything that we see in science today that shows us, oh yeah, this is how information gets created. There's nothing. The only thing that they theorize is mutations. And mutations are basically taking existing information, copying it, but making mistakes. It's like, oops, oops, random changes. Making random changes to existing information isn't going to create all the information that we see in the world today. You're you're going to destroy it millions of times faster than you ever might accidentally come up with a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of new information. Wow. It's a very technical area that we could look into. We don't have time for the details, but we do not see anything in nature creating information, let alone the vast volumes and volumes of information. Just our own DNA has three billion letters in our information in the cell nucleus of each cell 
of our bodies. And so there's a lot of information there. Where did it come from? Science has no natural explanation what could generate the volumes and volumes of information in living things. It's amazing. I'll go with Isaac Newton's order of study. He began with the Bible as his starting point and worked out from there. Uh, Jay Seeger, what about chemicals? How did chemicals combine to become aware of themselves? Yeah, we talk about consciousness. We're aware that we exist. So if there is no God and everything is particles interacting with each other, how do these particles become aware that they are interacting with each other? <laughs> and, you know, even in being silly, how did certain groups of particles that are together decide they like the Packers and other particles decide they like the 49ers? You got that game coming up this, this weekend. And, um, you know, again, if there is no God, I talked to one atheist for over three hours. It was an awesome conversation. Great guy, super smart, really nice. We had, we had fun. We really had fun talking. But I asked him um, some questions about why he isn't having affairs with all these other women that are around him in the world. He said, well, he loves his wife. I said, no, you don't. So what do you mean? I said, you can't love your wife. You're just particles interacting. Particles don't love anything. <laughs> And so he, he ultimately had no answer. I can't unpack that whole thing. Uh -huh. But if he's just particles smashing together, love <laughs> doesn't really exist. You can't explain consciousness through particles banging together, but you could from a Christian worldview. <laughs> You're good. You're good, Jay. That's why we have you on. You're the expert explaining these things. But now it comes down to morality, the conscience. Um, how is there anything such as right and wrong? Where does that come from? Well, in an atheistic world, there ultimately is not right and wrong. I was talking to another atheist, and you know, I was taking my chance being a little extreme here, but I was talking to her. I said, you know what, when I go home this evening, I could stop at a grocery store, buy some flowers, give them to my wife, and give her a kiss and tell her I love her. I could do that. Or I could stop at a store, buy a gun, and go home and shoot her. I said, you can't tell me that one of those choices is wrong. You might not like one of those. It might make you uncomfortable. We have laws that say if I do one of those, it's illegal and they're going to punish me. But the law doesn't make it wrong. We recognize that it's innately wrong. So we're going to establish laws so we know what to do when people do that. So in an atheistic world, there is no absolute right and wrong. It's just different choices. Certain choices might help society more than others. But who cares about society? We are all here through survival of the fittest, natural selection and evolution. Hmm. We each individual did whatever they did to survive. So today, if I decide I want to get rid of all the atheists, and that's going to help me survive. No one can tell me that that's absolutely wrong. Yeah, we might have some laws. Some people might not like it. It might not help society. But <laughs> there's no basis for ultimately having right and wrong in an atheistic world. Exactly. And then, you know, you think about, well, most people don't think that far ahead or, or process that. They just think, well, we have laws. That's why it's wrong. And they say, well, where did our laws come from? For example, before 1973, uh, abortion was illegal and it was wrong, but then it was legalized, so now it must be okay. A lot of people think, well, as long as it's, 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 um, if it's legal, it must be moral, but then they're not thinking the way you just explained. Right. I talked to one guy. He randomly, we were working together, and we were the only two in the office, and he said he was a good person. And I said, oh, what do you mean by good? And he said, well, you know, um, he hadn't thought about it. He's like, well, you know, moral. I said, well, how do you determine morality? He's like, okay, uh, well, majority opinion. Okay, so what Hitler did was okay because the majority of people in Germany thought it was okay to get rid of Jews. They weren't fully human. Well, no, that was wrong. But I said that was majority opinion. It is a majority country by country. Is it county by county? Is it city by city? Mm. And how often do we vote? People change their minds. And he was, his head was spinning. He was, he was just like, <laughs> why, are you, why are you doing this to me? I said, no, I'm just having fun. You just said you were, you're a good person. I'm just trying to find out more. What do you mean by that? Yeah, yeah. Just you're encouraging him to think. That's You're not doing anything to him. Hey, Jay, quickly, when you're talking to Christians now, let's transition to those who who have different beliefs, maybe that, that the Bible might not be inspired. Maybe they believe in a creator. Um, some things that you ask, such as, um, what, if they, what if there are Christians who do believe in evolution? There are some out there. How do you uh, talk with people like that? Sure. We'll go through these really quickly. In a future show, we can unpack them more. But um, first, I find out, okay, what's your thought? You're a Christian. What's your opinion of the Bible? Is it the inerrant, inspired Word of God, cover to cover? Are there any, do you think there are any errors in it? Any contradictions? Are there missing portions? Are there extra things in there that really shouldn't be there? I want to know what do they mean when they say they're a Christian? 
And most Christians would probably say, well, yeah, it's, a, it's inspired word of God. No, I, I don't think there are any errors. Okay, fine. If they say there are some errors or some pieces that shouldn't be in there, I'd ask a lot more about that. Okay, how do you know that? How do you determine which parts are inspired, which ones are accurate? What are you using as your source of authority to then now look down at God's word to figure out what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. So that that could be a whole conversation in and of itself. But if they say, well, yeah, no, <clears throat> they believe the Bible is from God and it's it's accurate, okay. Then I would say, can you show me from the Bible, from Scripture, why you're convinced evolution is true? Because many, many Christians do believe in evolution because they just assume it's been proven by science. So that was apparently God's process. And what do we care? God's all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. So it's a common view. So I would say, okay, let's put aside the science temporarily. Just show me why you are so convinced from Scripture why evolution is true. And virtually none of them can show me any, anything other than elephant hurling. Well, you know, the Bible isn't meant to be taken literally. It's, it's poetry and it tells us stories. And again, okay, but specifically, show me the verses that tell you when you're studying it, when you're using your hermeneutics and you're interpreting scripture, show me those verses that tell you, well, there must have been like a big bang and we evolved from ape-like creatures. And it's, again, usually crickets chirping. So they don't believe in Adam and Eve then, right? Some do, some don't. Some of them realize, wait a minute, you know, it says Adam and Eve. What do I believe about that? If I believe we evolved from an ape-like creature, maybe there wasn't an Adam and Eve. Well, maybe God at some point took some of these ape-like creatures that were not quite so much ape anymore, were more like humans, and he put a soul into two of them, and he called them Adam and Eve. So <laughs> they're just kind of winging wow. it, trying to fit it in with the Bible and science. But then, okay, if there wasn't a real Adam and Eve, then when Jesus talked about Adam and Eve, and the New Testament takes Adam and Eve literally, and it says that Jesus was the last Adam. If there wasn't a first Adam, what does that say about Jesus? And the story of Adam and Eve is that everything was perfect. Adam and Eve sinned, and that brought death and a curse into God's perfect creation. If there really wasn't an Adam and Eve, what does that say to how death and disease and suffering came into the world? I mean, that's why Jesus died on a cross. So explain that if there wasn't an Adam and Eve, or if there was, how does that relate to the gospel message? And Jay, just I'll give you a final minute here just to wrap up. I know we didn't get to all these points when conversing with a Christian about creation versus evolution, but just want you to, to, to share some closing thoughts. Your closing thoughts, uh, talking to a skeptic, I'll make close, uh, quick comments about skeptics and Christians. Skeptics, keep in mind, this is ultimately a spiritual issue. They are spiritually blinded. They're not just lacking some facts. We can't just throw facts at them and say, oh, I guess I was wrong. It's a spiritual issue. We need to share scripture. We need to be a good testimony. We need to be very gracious and patient with them. And they have great questions. With Christians, we need to get back to their starting point, the authority of God's word. Do they really look at it as the ultimate authority, or do they think they know better from some other source, and now they're going to take that and overlay that on the Bible to figure out what they want to believe, what they don't want to believe, what's true and what's not true. Thank you so much, Jay Siegert, Starting Point Project. We have his link in our podcast post. We'll talk to you soon, Jay. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, brother. You too. Appreciate being on the show. All right. God bless you. When we come back, some exciting guests for next week. We're getting ready to wrap up today's show. Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. Now, here's David Fiorazzo. And you can reach us anytime, comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Monday, we have a pro-life Baptist pastor from California, Walter Hoy. Also, Juan Valdez of Reasons for Hope. Sarah Christensen and a local ministry spotlight. spotlight. Uh, Eric Barger, um, Take a Stand Ministries. The next week, John Haller, prophecy expert. Linda Harvey of Mission America. Dr. Walter Martin's daughter, Jill Martin Rishi. And Ryan Morrow back with us in a few weeks. Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, and more coming your way. Let us know if you'd like to request a guest. And thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you, and always keep speaking the truth about things that matter.